0: This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On Air. The privilege of being at the mission is that you get to experience the suffering um, as much as you get to be part of a a viable, genuine response. It's extraordinarily powerful to be part of of a collective of people saying we are going to do something and we can. Part of the privilege of this role, but the the sheer difficulty of it, is to step into that suffering and to to not transmit it, but to actually allow it to transform you. Intentionality is quite important, and doing small, significant actions in the direction of which you want to travel, both personally and then as an organisation.
1: How can you work wholeheartedly on a challenging mission without burning out yourself or your team? That's the challenge Helen Robinson faces. She is a CEO whose mission is to end homelessness and poverty. In part one of this two-part discussion, you'll hear the rigor and discipline this CEO practices to avoid burnout and how her team are developing a well-being culture as well as supporting staff personal well-being. In part two, we'll talk about the impact of poverty on well-being for those living in it and those watching it, our wider society. Kia ora, I'm Dr Denise Quinlan. In this season of Bringing Wellbeing to Life, we're focusing on collective resilience. I'm talking with change-makers who are making the world around them more resilient for their colleagues, students, staff or fellow citizens. My guest today is Helen Robinson, CEO of the Auckland City Mission, whose adult life is devoted to improving the lives of our country's most excluded and marginalised people. As well as work on poverty and food insecurity, Helen has overseen the development of transitional housing programmes at the Mission, including one specifically for women. Kia ora, Helen, we are delighted to have you with us. Welcome to Bringing Wellbeing to Life. Kia ora Denise, it's a delight actually to be here with you and
0: all the listeners today.
1: Great, and before we dive into what you're doing right now, tell us a bit about you and where you're from and what made you come into this work?
0: Uh, Kia ora of course, Um, uh, as you said before it's a a long and winding journey Denise, so I uh, was born in Wellington, I am the third of five children, so I have uh, three brothers and a sister, Um, to a family um, who were remarkably open and generous um, uh, and part of a community and a church community that really uh, sought to respond to what was going on around them. I I grew up in Wellington, as I said, early childhood memories of being with my father in the car as we dropped off some food to the Home of Compassion, um, that was providing, um, the, you know, they had a, a food service there. And so uh, that, that's just a, a memory that sticks out. And I think uh, for me, in terms of who I am and where I am today, that that family story is incredibly important. Um, in terms of my, um throughout kind of the immediate family, there's a deep kind of Celtic story. So it's lovely to hear your accent, <laughs> Denise. Um, de- definitely Irish, um, Irish, Scottish, English, and then through my mum, uh, Dalmatian or Yugoslav or Croatian background. And then uh, through our father too, we actually Papa to Te Aotearoa to Waka Maui, so the part of Te awa that's at the top of the South Island. Uh, so that's uh, um, a, a deep and rich part of our history. So um, I come with, with really being a, a woman of Aotearoa, a woman of the Pacific. Um, that, uh, you know, either through the Māori or Pākehā ancestors has deeply travelled here, uh, a woman that uh, has been both part of colonisation and colonised. Mm. So it's a, a, a really uh, interesting and rich story. As part of um, uh, that kind of church community, uh, when I was growing up, we uh, had a kind of coming-of-age ceremony when we were teenagers, and part of that was that there was a service component And through that service component, I became part of an organisation called Challenge 2000, which is still alive and kicking in Johnsonville, Wellington today. Um, And they're uh, gospel-based and seeking to respond uh, to the needs of the community, and particularly the poorest, and particularly young people. So I, um, at a grand old age of 15, was part of doing all kinds of things and uh, actually uh, started to work for Challenge when I uh, left school while I was uh, studying at university, and so I was actually there till I was 30. So while I I did go to university, and I'm really grateful for that education, my real learning happened at Challenge, Mm. where I was exposed to um, an Aotearoa that was uh, wide and varied and very, very different. Um, I got to travel the country. I got to do things like meet Ministers of the Crown or meet important people who were making big decisions. I um, I got to be part of of black power and and, and that kind of reality and deeply connected to poverty in our country um, and deeply connected to to a te ao Māori world as well through a whole variety of different circumstances. So just as an example, I, in my early 20s, had the absolute privilege of going deep into Tūhoe Country, Te Lua, and up to Manga, Ohatu and the place of Kinana, which is a, a Beautiful. place, not, yeah, it's an extraordinary yeah. part of our country yeah. and, and a place really that is Māori first and Pākehā second. Yeah. So to be part of uh, opportunities like that is um, this rich and varied exposure and I think that the core kind of a lesson that, um, or gift that, that being part of challenge gifted me was to actually look at how I view the world um, and uh, become very, very conscious of my perspective um, and conscious of, of the perspective that the society wanted to see and actually see if if that was the truth in all honesty. But
1: there, there are so many other perspectives. There's what's being shown in the mainstream and there's all these other lived experiences that, that you've seen. Yeah,
0: totally. And that that certainly my heart just kind of ran ahead of me, to be honest, to really um see the world from the point of view, the, the very specific and particular point of view for those who aren't at the table. For those voices that aren't being heard, where there is not power or resource, so of all the perspectives, that's actually the ultimate choice that I made. Um, I'm not. I'm not sure that I was particularly conscious of making it. Um, the older I've got, the more clear I've become, though, is that that I have no choice. Uh, not in a powerless sense. Actually, in the inverse, in compelling the deeper, in a compelled in
1: sense. mission sense. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. That this is this is what, um, what my life is is meant to be about.
1: Oh, that's so powerful. Like, you know, one of the things we talk about in terms of wellbeing is people having a sense of mission, having a sense of purpose about what our life is for. And it's just fabulous to hear how early your sense of purpose emerged. And I guess the, the formative values from a very young age of your family. And, and I think sometimes also, I guess I'm guessing, and it's a question really from from um, a Catholic Irish background. There's no fence sitting. There's right and wrong, and there's social justice, <laughs> and you don't and, you don't get yeah, to not have a view. Uh,
0: uh, totally, and, and, you know, obviously that you know, as I said, that Irish and and certainly was Catholic background is you know, we're totally meet there, Denise that mm-hmm. um, uh, I I think the. most of my world and most of my day is living deeply in the grey. So it's interesting that we have this conversation about black and white, but um, in that context of multiplicity and the grey, actually there is some things that are right and there are some things that are wrong. And um, the more I hear the voice of those who don't have a voice, the clearer actually that becomes. Yeah. So it's a, that sense of being compelled is, is, um, is just deeply affirmed and energised every day, oh, wow. uh, certainly in, in this work here, totally.
1: Oh, that, that is just leads me beautifully on to what I want to ask you about in terms of your role. So you're CEO of a large organisation with a huge mission. Um, tell us what that looks like on a daily basis. And, and how you keep
0: going? Yeah, totally. It's interesting. I was telling a group of people today. So I've been in this role for just under eighteen months. So um, April the eighth, they'll forever remember that twenty twenty one. That I actually took uh, three months to decide whether I should even apply for this job. So I headed the general manager role before, as you referenced, which was a significant leadership role in its sense that worked closely with the previous missioner and CE. So. Um, I did have some sense of, of actually what I was getting into, but I'm not sure I really did know what I was getting into, Denise. Um, the reality, uh, the day-to-day reality of my role was actually quite, I almost want to say ordinary or humbling. Um, I uh, spend a lot of it or most of it, overwhelmingly most of it, just meeting people Um and uh, obviously, there's a significant organisation to run here, and there is a, a leadership team that uh, hold the different portfolios. So, my job, my primary job, is in support of them. Mm. Um, uh, so, we have a just for example, we have a general manager of our commercial, so all things like our property and facilities and and our IT. We have a chief financial officer, so support of her, or the general manager of our health and social services. So, there's just regular. As I go along, there's a team of about eight or nine of us. So really that model of service that my job is to enable them to do their job as that kind of goes down the chain. So there's just over 200 staff at the mission. Um, uh, We depend on the uh, Auckland public particularly, but the New Zealand public to fund us. So uh, our operational budget this year is just under 25 million. So uh, and a good two thirds of that is is contract money and a a third of that is fundraised through extraordinary fundraising team here.
1: We'll be putting a link at the end for anyone who
0: wants to donate. Um, So I honestly spend um, much of my day Uh, thinking about money and how we're going to get what we need, Um, and really at my level, uh, being in relationship with people so that I act as a real conduit to outside the mission, to understand uh, not only what we are about, but who we are about and why we are about that so that I really am the kind of the face of of the relationships. Um, So that often takes me to... Or all kinds of places and events um the strange and wonderful um it just you know is a bit of a contrast we've got a beautiful new building here and there was uh, a building award um uh, that I was at on Friday night so here I am in a room of seven hundred and fifty builders um you know at a lovely restaurant here in Auckland and you know just sitting here thinking what is my life about that here I am surrounded by builders representing the mission so you know what a privilege it was to be there so it you know just as a, a kind of an extreme example it, it, the role takes you to rich and varied places
1: and then, the places yeah
0: totally and then I think there's a third and incredibly important part I actually have two roles that are, are kind of combined into one one is chief executive as you introduced me and one is missioner yeah so some of that first stuff that I actually spoke to you about is more about the chief executive function so the Auckland city missioner is I'm the tenth in a line uh, so the mission is one hundred and two years old uh, our founder Jasper Corder founded the mission one hundred and two years ago so um that role uh, that has kind of grown up in the last hundred years here in Auckland particularly and sometimes nationally is actually I uh, become a symbol of of almost the conscience of Auckland, if I could use that language. Yes. And uh, I am given an extraordinary platform to actually speak into that conscience to help um, Auckland, if not New Zealand, actually understand what is the experience of people who are suffering, people who are experiencing homelessness who are poor. And uh, my job is to bring that voice to the marketplace and to really advocate um uh, and now sometimes that's just as simple as a conversation with someone uh, and sometimes it's a significant speaking engagements where there are hundreds if not thousands of people there. So that, that real kind of um, uh, uh, standing and the experience and the authenticity of the people that we serve here to speak that truth. Um, so that's, uh, that kind of really takes me the,
1: to... The, the missioner role of um you are a collective conscience and you you're like a full-time advocate
0: yeah totally i'm a full-time advocate it's um it's in my sleeping denise i can't help myself yeah. um it, now it's a it's that's a huge privilege um and uh the kind of the the platform of advocacy is certainly written into my job description but that kind of um a collective consciousness as you describe um you know that's quite hard to put in a job description yeah. but it's certainly it's certainly the, the utter privilege of the role in the one that, that sits with me deeply.
1: Yeah and I can hear, you know, that because I want to ask you about what it is that fuels you and fires you up to keep doing the work. And obviously it's this huge sense of privilege and purpose that you have this role. Um, and I'm guessing that within that though there are amazing highlights and huge frustrations.
0: There are um and, and I think uh I think there there is a number of kind of or a different kind of shade or characteristics that I've put to it. Being part of the mission, whatever role you have, is extraordinarily relentless. Yeah. It is just never ending. There is always more need and it's all real and viable. Um uh, there is always more work. Um I, you know, often get my first email at five o'clock and my last one at 11 p.m. I, you know, like it's, it, it it is just relentless that the significance, the importance, the amount of work that is going on. Um. So so that is, that is I have to acknowledge that's. I mean, I have a particular role and a particular relentlessness, but actually that's a context all of us face here. And I think it speaks deeply to the nature of the work. And um, just the, the amount of suffering that we see and the significance or the depth of that, um, you know, that is part of it. Um, for me, and, and, you know, we may have touched on it briefly as we were introducing, the, that, that because this, this sense of me being here comes from that deepest place within us as human beings, so that level of wider if I could use that language. Mm,
1: Sense of spirituality
0: and purpose, yeah. Totally. That is, um, you know, that is the thing that brings me here and sustains me here and energises me here. And the the privilege of being at the mission is that you get to see um, both the – the need for that, so you get to experience the suffering um, as much as you get to be part of a, a, a viable, genuine response. It's extraordinarily powerful to be part of, of a collective of people saying, we are going to do something and we can. We, um, uh, for Matariki this year, to acknowledge uh, the fetu or the staff or Hitakawa, we uh, had a service for those who had passed on. And I read the name of 26 individuals who have died in the missions care in the last year. Um, Two thirds Maori, all under the age of 60. Um, now, when I stand there and read those names, the uh, some of whom I knew personally, and certainly uh, of those 26, someone within the mission all knew them personally. Is that like I enter that at that gut level of? Um, I, I, I don't have the language to tell you how wrong it is that I was having to do what I was doing. That that if you need a more direct impact about or consequence or understanding of consequence of poverty or trauma or colonisation, you had it in the three or four minutes where I read those names yeah, out. Yeah.
1: Um.
0: And it is extraordinary how motivating that is, Denise. In fact, motivation feels a cheap word.
1: It, to describe it's, it, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's um, it's so much deeper than that. This is about the sacredness of our lives and the sacredness of of um, people who we are connected to. Yeah. And because of the structures that we are a part of and creating, those lives are cut short. and And um, it, it is so unjust and so wrong. And I mean, that itself is so. Powerful, powerful in terms of literally getting me up in the morning because
1: and and yeah, because it is such a powerful purpose and mission and I'm guessing that many people at uh, at the Auckland City Mission share that sense of purpose and that is what allows them to keep going in what you describe as a really relentless job but the flip side of this is we know that people who work with a deep sense of purpose and passion, particularly looking after other people, are more vulnerable to burnout because it's very easy. There's always more to give. There's always more need. How do you look after yourself and your team? And,
0: and there's, uh, there, um, interestingly, Denise, and very honestly answering those questions are more complex than they sound on the surface. I and if I start with me is that um I think i would I would very genuinely say uh, standing in that resent- relentlessness and being um whole and uh, full of joy or a, a kind is a, a lot harder said than done um, oh, yeah. and I think Yeah, and would probably be one of the biggest learning curves. So what I've learned over time is to really land squarely on doing what I can do. Um, I, I have to I have to go back to this perspective as saying I could be doing so much better and there is so much more, and this is just for me, let alone the world around me. Yet today, what is it that I can do? And it takes me, uh, certainly in the first instance, back to my body in the first place. So um, and very clearly about uh, exercise or movement, about um, sleeping. Uh, about eating well and then i uh, meditate 20 minutes a day and i can talk to you about that in a minute but for me that meditation is the deal breaker Uh, so there are a few things i do i do everything within my power to make sure that i am at least lying down for eight hours a night if i'm not sleeping for eight hours because the lying down that I can control, even if I can't control yeah. the sleep.
1: But I I love this because, you know, one of the things we often talk about with burnout is it may seem to come on suddenly, but what you know is there's a long history of exercise being stopped, meditation being dropped, social activities being dropped. And so being really Rigorous and disciplined about your self-care is massive,
0: isn't it? it, it totally. And those are exactly the words, um, rigorous and disciplined. So uh, on most Sundays of every week, I would literally sit down and look at the week and say, uh, OK, when am I going to finish work that night? Therefore, when am I going to start the next morning? How am I going to have that break to just actually have that eight hours of lying down? I've learned along the way. I wish I could survive on five or six hours. I just oh, can't. Oh yeah, all of us. <laughs> yeah. Um, and there seems to be people around me who can, but I honestly just can't. Um, and and because so sometimes, and then it is quite disciplined where I would actually quite like to start to 11 or 12 because I need that space. But actually I'm up at five, so I do need to go to bed at nine o'clock. Now it's, so that sense of discipline, uh, I've learned along the way that if I don't shop for food uh, on the weekend, I just eat like rubbish during the week, which is just more about whatever's in front of me rather than what's good for me. Um, so that that genuine sense of planning, uh, often part of this role was there would be lunches or dinners that I'm at, so I need to think really, really carefully about uh, what food am I buying. Uh, what is that going to be in relation to that dinner? So if I've gone out for lunch that day, I need something quite different for dinner than if I haven't. Um, uh, so I need to think quite carefully and plan about that. I uh, have a personal trainer at the gym. My The two appointments that I refuse to move are the two that I see him during the week. Um, I love uh, again, and it would be interestingly there from past 6 to past 7 on a Tuesday and a Friday. And it would amaze you how many times that I'm often having to be in a meeting at half past seven or eight o'clock and it's I've just point blank refused to change them. Um,
1: I love this. Yeah, so. oh, it's lovely to meet someone who is doing it. It's the commitment, the discipline and the drawing some lines and boundaries.
0: Yeah, totally. Uh, Denise, I often um, feel quite exhausted and often fail. So in this conversation, don't hear me saying I've got this licked, because it is truly the opposite. Um, and, and very genuinely, one of the stories is, is that I think I really need to create more space in my life because so much of what's demanded for me is often complex and at a depth level. I can't magic that up. Yes. I, like I'm not a robot. I can't just, just kind of speak beautifully about something or appropriately or accurately. I've actually got to not only think about it, but it's got to come from a deeper space.
1: It's the time for the walk on the beach to feel in yourself what you want to say. You know what it is you want to talk about. Yeah, Yeah. and
0: sometimes that just happens while you're having an ice cream with someone. Like you're not even kind of thinking necessarily. You're just um, you're just present to living, really. Uh, So, so yes, I am disciplined and rigorous. And in that disposition of doing what I can, um, yeah. acknowledging that there is so much more I can do. And, and part of that for me has also been a deep learning that um, uh, it, it actually, very honestly, this isn't about me. Um, I have this role and this extraordinary role. And it's really, if there is ever a time in my life that this is not about me, then this is really not about me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it needs to be about an us. And then, actually, how do I help grow and facilitate people around me who can, uh, you know? And, and I'm I'm very lucky here at the mission that there are extraordinarily skilled and motivated or gifted people. That lots of my job is actually about growing them and so that
1: I don't have to. Yeah, and how? Because that's the next piece is how do you prevent burnout and protect wellbeing in your team? Because. Um, it, that's that's a big challenge when you have people who see need and who want to give.
0: Totally, and and genuinely, it's quite a complex conversation here at the mission because there is over two hundred of us. <laughs> so there's this this. Um, kind of toggling that goes on between what are the needs of the individual so what is it that we can do to respond to those very real needs and then how do we create a culture of an organisation where that comes through and um, responding to the needs of the individual in my experience is quite a bit easier than actually creating that culture and I lean deep into the leader of our uh, our people team actually so so I intuitively and obviously understand the stuff and have an experience of it but applying that for a, a medium or big organisation is, is mm. quite a different set of skills. So um, there is conversations going on at the Mission at the moment, for example, about doing a, a kind of a baseline test to, me- to measure our well-being. And one of the challenges that we find is that we're actually looking for a, um, a, that kind of test that actually could do that in a Te Māori frame and, and understand that from a Pacifica frame. So uh, many of our staff, uh, this is our culture and our people. So to kind of bring in a, you know, usually an American model is no, quite has hard to
1: be, sometimes. it has to be local. Yeah. For those of you not familiar with te reo Māori, the language of New Zealand's first people and one of our official languages, we're going to add a glossary of the terms used today. It will be on the show notes at nziwr.co.nz.
0: Because it's really how do we do that at that collective level. So then it's if I view it from a collective frame, it's actually saying what are um, programs, processes, uh, understandings or allowances that we can make at the level of wairuru, at the level of Farno, of at the level of hininaro and then at the level of Tinana. so that, that all parts of us, So just, for example, over time, um, every Wednesday, if you were ever in Auckland, we'd love to welcome you, Denise. At 8.30 on a Wednesday morning, we have Ayata and karakia. Now, that feeds lots of us yes. at a deep level of wairua and um, our well-being as an organisation would be significantly reduced if that stopped for whatever reason.
1: And and for those people who are listening, who aren't from Aotearoa New Zealand, Karakia's prayer waiate song. And it it's, it's typical for me, it's always an uplifting and, Fulfilling experience.
0: Totally. And, and partly because you're doing it with others. I think that's it too. So for me, very, very conscious in my leadership role that um, where I spend time and energy speaks a, a great, power to the power of modelling. So one of the things that I will do everything within my power to be there at, at Waiata on a Wednesday morning, not only because I get a lot out of it, but it's actually saying to the organisation, as an organisation, we are going to privilege and create spaces where our Waiata is fed. Um, and, and so that's incredible. And it
1: matters. And I will be there because it matters. And it, it speaks, yeah, you being there
0: it, totally. And, and in fact it's a it's a collective um decision on behalf of the senior leadership team of the mission within all our power to actually be there. And and I think because it, it's um you know, the whole space is in Te reo, um it, it's it is also a real act of decolonisation too. Um, yes. And and because that is so deeply what we are attempting this journey that we're on, that there's a number of layers that's important for me. Um, I we recognise uh, just uh, how important our body is. Uh, just for example, they, um, the mission is uh, one of the charities that receive money through the Auckland Marathon. So one of our fundraising team hits me up and um, I was like, no, I'm not going to run a marathon, but I can walk or run an 11K. So um, I've agreed to do that this year. Now, again... Uh, This is really just an an act of leadership for me to say our bodies are important, privileging time for movement and exercise appropriate to levels, ages, capacities. Um, And, uh, you know, I've basically said to the organisation, anyone who wants to be part of the marathon, we will pay for the entrance fee. And it's just actually insane. Bring your family along. Um, and what's great about the ultra Marathon is there's a, there is a 5K option and an 11K option and a, you get to walk over the bridge, which is cool. Uh, uh, so, again, it's actually recognising that there are these parts of us, all of them are incredibly important. I have a powerful modelling um, potential through my role. Um, what I do and and acknowledge and celebrate um, uh, really uh lends itself towards allowing that in the organisation now there's lots of things we could do with that so uh, and we we haven't yet but you know someone asked me there's a gym down the road will we be prepared to go and talk to them and you know get um, membership fees that are reduced and super happy to do that if people need time during the, the day to go for a walk at lunch or have an extended lunch hour or whatever, I'm so deeply supportive of that. Moving that from an individual frame to a cultural frame is, uh, as I said, easier said than done. So I can support it, but work still needs to be done. So yeah. it, it, it's how you juggle that. And I, I think coming back to what I was saying before, it's it's this um, uh, intentionality is quite important and, and doing small, significant actions in the direction of which you want to travel um, both personally and then as an organisation. We have a, a, a relatively new wellbeing committee that sits under our health and safety uh, kind of processes here at the mission. Um, uh, health and safety generally is obviously critically important and then that wellbeing stream is incredibly important so that there's actually a group of people who are charged with that responsibility. I I think that where the mission needs to go is a lot more um, systemic a lot more evidence-based, a lot more structural and, and kind of deeply embedded in our organisational culture. So we're we're there and we're trying, um, and there's lots of good of what we're doing, but there is a lot more that we need to be doing too. You know, we don't talk about it too often here, but there there is that real risk of vicarious trauma um, yeah. that is very, very concrete, that is a key kind of contributor to that burnout that, that yeah. you spoke about. Um, uh, when you, you know, if I was even just to talk about that experience that, that I shared with you about reading the names of people who had died, if I just take that as a snapshot, like that affected me.
1: Yeah.
0: It, it, it affected me at all kinds of deep levels. And um, uh, part of the the privilege of this role, but the, the sheer difficulty of it, is to step into that suffering Mm. um and uh to to not transmit it um but to actually allow it to transform you um this uh,
1: is really deep work we're talking about being able to take on suffering to transform it and send not let it destroy you but let it transform you and Turn that into what you are doing, Andrew.
0: Totally, because otherwise I'm just contributing to uh, making it worse, not better. Mm -hmm. Uh, but, But that's the stuff, Denise, I can't fake. I can't pretend. Um, and so I think that takes us right back to some of the other stuff that I was saying. So those individual practices are actually equally uh, part of it. I, um, ever since I have done this work, so since I was 15, I've been in some kind of supervisory or therapeutic relationship, just to, you know, and regularly, the first thing I'll say to my clinical supervisor is, "Hello, I don't want to be here." Um, yeah. you know, and, and we keep going. So that's part yeah. of the discipline and the rigorous. You know, in in every three weeks at least, um, I have a, a work coach as well. Um, you know, obviously I obviously talked before about having a personal trainer. So there are people who are surrounding me at all kinds of levels to actually support in the very practical and pragmatic process of that transformation.
1: Helen, thanks. So much for sharing the deep work that it takes for you to stay well and continue in your leadership role at the mission. And thank you for sharing your focus on supporting well-being in your staff and your organisation culture. In part two of this conversation, we'll discuss the broad and enduring effects of poverty on well-being and life itself and we'll talk about the work that the mission is doing to support adults and children experiencing food insecurity and homelessness. To support Helen's mission to end poverty and homelessness and support the work of the Auckland City Mission, head to the full show notes at nziwr.co.nz, where we have a link for donations, or go to AucklandCityMission.org.nz. Forward slash donate. You've been listening to Bringing Wellbeing to Life on ORFM Dunedin. To learn more about how you can build wellbeing and resilience for your team, go to nziwr.co.nz. Thanks for listening today. If you've enjoyed the show, please rate the podcast to help others who might enjoy it find it more easily.